Welcome to Prime Suspects for your weekly insider's look behind the counter of Prime Sports. Alongside Joe Brennan Jr. and Adam Bjorn, I'm your host, Matt Landis. And guys, it's going to be a fast follow-up on last week's lead topic of Prime Sports' upcoming presence in states beyond Ohio, the latest from inside Prime Sports. Joe, if your post on Twitter from this past Saturday is any indication, it's looking like Prime Sports will be live in New Jersey by the time they cut down the nets in Phoenix. I mean, that's our hope. We've told DGE when our intention is to launch right around the men's tournament. So far, they've been agreeable to that. Congratulations to Adam and his team. You know, they basically got the camel through the eye of the needle so far with their platform. So pretty significant accomplishment. And now, yeah, we're just waiting to flip the switch. There's a couple of things we got to work on in the meantime. And then also one thing to keep in mind is with New Jersey, the nuances is that we can't actually go full live to start. They have this kind of staged rollout where you have a soft launch where you can be open a certain number of hours per day and it increases on the second day. And then everybody takes a look at it, sees, okay, are you guys stable? You're doing what you're supposed to do. And, and then you roll out to a full 24-7 launch. So you might have to handle how we time that. But other than that, yeah, very exciting. Yeah, maybe some baby steps along the way, but very meaningful and tangible progress, nevertheless. And Adam, as a recurring theme on this show, I know you've spoken to the fact that you view this not even as a marathon, but an ultra marathon. So while the New Jersey launch is an exciting moment, I'm curious to hear from your bigger picture perspective what you'll be watching for if and when Prime Sports is live in New Jersey at some point during March Madness. Yeah, well, just getting live by March Madness would be nice considering... As we said previously, I think 2021 was a false start. 22 was a false start. 23 was a false start. So hopefully we get there in 24. But for me, just get the thing open. April's a nice month to roll into some baseball again if we catch the end of the March Madness. And then roll into you know the Masters for the playoffs for the NBA, NHL. And for me, again, it's the big summer of sports. Olympics, Euros, Copa, outside of the US-centric stuff, which... For me personally is where, you know, I expect to go into more of a niche product to do the customer acquisition versus competing with the other 20, 24 operators or whatever else are there chasing their American sports to just be broader and you know more aggressive on all these other things. Uh, I would have really liked to have been open for the uh, heavyweight fight coming up with Anthony Joshua soon because I have a very, very strong opinion on that. So it would have been a nice one to get aggressive on and let the Arbors do some work for us. Ultimately, just get open, take bets, have some fun. There's a few targets and back and forth that we've had with current New Jersey operators, uh, and I fully plan to lean into that as heavily and aggressively as possible, especially against those exchanges or whatever they're calling themselves these days, and just ready to have some fun. So I'm going to go off script here just a bit because, Adam, something you said sparked a a quick two-part follow-up in my mind. You mentioned wanting to be open in time for a heavyweight fight. It sounds like that's not going to be the case, but you mentioned the rationale being you have a strong opinion on it. From a bookmaking perspective, how often will you look to book to an opinion versus balancing the action? And as a quick second part for people catching this conversation who may want to take advantage of your strong opinion when it comes to getting down elsewhere, anything you care to break down about this upcoming bout? Way too often. The answer to your first question, weigh in with opinion way too often, have learned to not be as aggressive. And again, it's prime to just roll them out slowly, not building too much heavy 
risks early on. But for me, and I've still got some betting to do, so I won't go too deep into it. But anyone that knows my background know that there's only one side that I'm coming at in this event. I think he was robbed in the last fight against an Englishman in the same location. It's an opportunity for both the pre-game of the betting aspect, but the live is where we want to lean into as well strongly. Very weak market, UFC, boxing, those kind of things live. I really don't know who offers what or where in the regulated market right now. But giving those opportunities for the players and again, customer acquisition and just doing things differently than what everyone else is doing, being able to have some fun and lean into certain spots like that as, as we go forward. And while we're on this topic, guys, I'd also like to draw a connection between Prime Sports's first state, Ohio, and the front runner to become its second state in New Jersey. Jersey famously prohibits betting on in-state college teams or on any college events taking place in the state. And this famously became a source of angst for both bettors and books when St. Peter's became the first 15 seed to advance to the Elite Eight back in 2022. Ohio on Friday banned betting on college player props. And Joe, it sounds like you're okay with the decision overall, but might have a bone to pick when it comes to the argument that operators failed to provide any factual basis to support the assumption that this move will push money from the regulated market to the unregulated market. I've kind of gone back and forth in this. I'm, I'd say I'm ambivalent at best, and I'm waiting to see what happens next season in the wake of this decision in Ohio. I mean, I can, I can definitely understand not wanting college athletes to be harassed. And that is absolutely unacceptable. But honestly, in this equation, they're targeting the wrong bit. And this isn't a betting problem. This is a social media problem. The ability for people to express themselves in incredibly disagreeable terms, more or less directly to an athlete via social media, that's the real problem. It's not betting. But again, this is certainly not the first time. This is not going to be the last time where betting operators are seen as the font of all evil and thus shutting us down or curtailing us is a way to solve that evil. I don't think that for one minute that the social media attacks on athletes are going to disappear simply because we do not have college player props. People will still be betting on sides and totals and things like that pretty sure that that will probably is elicit just as many comments to athletes via social media as, you know, whether or not somebody, some college quarterback, whatever, crapped out on their player prop, you know, they're over or under. What I find disturbing about this though, even though I'm somewhat ambivalent about it, and I understand why the NCAA is doing it, is that the burden of proof really wasn't with the NCAA. They sent off a, a letter and they kind of camouflage what was an opinion based on some incredibly high level assertions and then said, okay, well, you know, and then Ohio tossed it to the sports books and said, prove it, prove that they're wrong. And there was no, I mean, based on what I saw in the response from the Ohio regulators in their letter, there really was no way like, oh, you know, you, this has a negligible impact on handle and, and on hold. And just this assertion that of course, you know, the NCAA's assertion that if there's no player props, there will be no opportunity to bother college, individual college athletes. And that's just horseshit. That's horseshit thinking. But that's kind of what I've come to accept from the NCA, who, as you know, has been a longtime opponent or competitor to me over the last 20 some odd years. 
but they use their position at the top of college athletics as some sort of quasi-religious position. Like, oh, well, of course we have the best interests of the athletes in mind here when we do these things. But the fact that the NCAA, with little to no real data supporting their position, I mean, there's no doubt there's been an increase of harassment of college athletes. Is it because of the betting or is it because of social media? I think anybody who looks at this question, it's because of the access to social media. It's not because of betting. And then this notion where the higher regulators were dubious of the claim that, okay, well, if uh, regulated operators don't offer this, that the offshore industry will jump into it. And like, all you had to do is look at the past Super Bowl to see the line between what regulated operators were able to offer in their proposition markets versus then where the offshore guys took over. Okay. It's, it's not a huge leap of logic. And to say that, oh, well, it's not this way today. Well, it doesn't mean that offshore won't use it as an opportunity, especially now that so much notoriety has been granted to it by Ohio regulators and the NCAA, use it as an opportunity for acquisitions and to go out and then to grab more handle and to make more of it. You know, bet the props that you can't bet near regulated markets here. And the fact that the media, they just don't seem to see the bright line between the regulated market. They're, they're just interested, like, what's the most interested prop out there, you know, so that they can get clicks and, and viewers and things like that. And they can get people's attention. They're going to jump all over it anyway. So in the long run, again, nobody should be surprised that the betting industry is being used to police the players and the fans and things like that when we're really not the problem. It's social media is the problem. And really anybody who's been to an athletic contest now over the course of the last 20 years, and I will not take my children, my family to a live sporting event anymore because just the, there's been a breakdown of just society norms and that people feel like if they pay a ticket, pay the price for a ticket, they can yell out whatever bullshit they want in a crowded stadium at the players, at the team. And this is coming from a Philadelphia fan, guys. This is coming from a Philadelphia fan saying like, it's just someone who was throwing snowballs at Santa Claus not too long ago. Oh yeah. That happened a million years ago. Yes. Yeah, so let's get Santa Claus in there. That happened in 19. 19- I was one month old when that happened. Okay. <laughs> but you know, the, the fact that, you know, we're now trying to use betting and betting operators as like, oh, well, that's where it's happening. It's just a total bit of horseshit. College athletes should not be looking to build their brand online via social media. They should not have their comment section open for people or anything like that. They are in part inviting this kind of stuff by trying to have that availability. Social media is a much larger problem than anything involved with betting but I promise I'll end my 10 talk here. Well, when it comes to the NCAA, I will go ahead and bite my tongue as a USC grad who was on campus near the end of Pete Carroll's heyday. And Adam, we'll pivot over to you, getting a little bit more specific when it comes to this recent change. For an important bit of context, only 1.35% of Ohio handle in 2023 came on college player props. So we're talking about a tiny sliver of the pie here. But I would still be curious for your thoughts on the state's decision to ban these types of bets and the potential impact it could have when it comes to money changing hands between the regulated and unregulated markets. Yeah, well, the over 1% is actually more than what I would have suspected it to have been. College player props have been a nothing thing for as long as I could remember. You know, I was kind of surprised when it came up asking different ones, you know, what are they offering quarterbacks, running backs, stuff like that. And there was a lot more being offered than what, what I'd seen or 
you know, I guess more in recent years as I've sort of stepped away from certain sports, not really even taking any notice of them uh, on a trading or a betting side of it. But it's reactionary and we're seeing more and more. Ohio's been very, you know, their catalog's smaller than the rest. They've been very careful on what they do allow and don't allow. Even Six Nations Rugby, we saw recently that that's not in their catalog, which is you know, an age-old product that I wouldn't understand. And, and having gone into conversations with them of pushing some of these things that they should offer that they don't. When I went through it originally, they, as I've said before, they were actually one of the most well-thought-out states when it come to building the catalog. This goes back on the operators as well because they asked all the operators to submit their lists they were bombarded with every long list that every other state had. They went back to them and asked, give us reasons on this, and no one responded. So they just took their own course, which is the right thing for a regulator to do in that sense. So now it's on the operators, which again, will work with Prime of targeting certain things that aren't in the catalog and pushing for them and getting those response times. Recently, we had a customer asking about the Cincinnati football team, soccer team that was in a couple of different mid-season leagues and whatnot. So targeting some of these things where we have the knowledge, we have the experience, we know what leagues they should go after that won't come and bite them in the ass and building on that. The New Jersey, going back to that, the in-state college things, you know, we've got another hurdle as prime and the market access is certain professional leagues, teams that they can't offer from Detroit based on the ownership structure and whatnot. So we've been sort of discussing, so how do we offer a Stanley Cup market without a particular team? How do we do baseball World Series? What happens if these teams, I mean, we saw it years ago with the Palms and the Sacramento Kings owners of not being able to offer certain things based on ownership. Um, I think Houston with the Golden Nugget at one point in time as well. So as I've always said, tell me the rules of the game, and we'll lay it out and just work out how to play it. Without that, they're constantly making switches and changes. And we just have to be ready for that, adjust for that on the technical side. So we're not offering things which we're seeing broadly happening in other states where events and leagues and sports that shouldn't be offered are getting offered in Massachusetts and all these other things in the process. So that's making it way more complicated than it needs to be. But again, tell us the rules of the game and we'll just work it out from there and build on that and you know, try and stay within those parameters. Yeah, and I'll tell you, just I'm sure this will be part of a segue to our next big state regulating topic here. But the industry's done, I would say, a comparatively poor job so far of advocating for itself and with working with regulators. It's too much going on, too much by company basis or a kind of frenemy cartel at the top to box out competition at the bottom end of the market, and you know, by using cynical tax rates and things like that. Normally, Ohio has been pretty good on things. And the thing that I was shocked about this was, A, how quick it moved, just instantaneously it happened. And then B, how the NCAA was able to come in and very quickly and without really significant supporting evidence to do this and convince the regulator to put the burden of proof on the operator when really the reverse should have been true. And I think that's an alarming precedent to set for our industry at this stage and with an influential regulator like Ohio. Yeah. And Joe, you touched on it. We will get to some news when it comes to state sports betting tax rates shortly here. But at this moment, intricacies of state specific regulations and all 
with another market entering the fold shortly, it's pretty clear that Prime Sports continues to find its stride. And in the meantime, the next topic I'd like to touch on relates to others looking to avoid hitting rock bottom. Our water cooler segment this week, SNL on February 24th, airing a segment called Rock Bottom Kings, a satire on how sports betting is marketed. And the concept, if you haven't seen it yet, is to basically bet on how your degenerate gambler friend will lose it all and hit rock bottom. And some of the examples they pointed out might hit painfully close to home for some, including chasing losses on a random WNBA game and dipping into a child's college savings to fund bets. And of course, no satire like this would be complete without some disingenuous comments about responsible gambling. Joe, this one seemed to land with you. You posted on Twitter because you're not a loser. Your friend is. Sounds like the tagline for a social betting site. Yep. (laughs) I mean, you got to give SNL credit. They hit that one so square on the nose, they knocked it out the back of Ted. Uh, it's unbelievable. The tone, the everything. But yeah, I, one of the things I think is interesting from that whole thing is it, in addition to really having a great take on the different offers, the way they, they do this, some really side of their mouth, cynical stuff like, oh, you know, we take responsible gaming really seriously. That's why all these commercials are filled with cash, gold bars, girls, and things like that. You know, the fact that it, somebody's always, I got it. It must be at least once a month. I have somebody send me a, a business deck and they say like, you know, what is really missing from sports betting is, is social. You need more social integration into sports betting. I'm like, well, that's what we have sports betting Twitter for. It did though, however, make me think that it actually, you know, having a buddy is a great way to go out on a bender when you're out drinking or something like that. So you have a designated driver, somebody safe to pull you back in. But if your peers were a little more aware of what it was that you were doing, maybe there's a certain number of people who would avoid getting into trouble instead of putting it all on the operator who we're looking at these people as like individuals on an account basis. So who knows, maybe inadvertently SNL and being highly cynical about this may have tapped on something which is a great way of approaching responsible gaming is is like brother can you give me a hand kind of thing but beyond that that was the funniest bit i've seen on snl in probably like two or three years and adam that bit spoke volumes about the mainstream attitude toward how sports betting gets marketed so from your point of view in a more ideal future how would it be done differently well i'm not you know the responsible gaming side i'm not as into it is what Joe is. I've always thought that up to each individual's responsibility to do what they do or don't do. I mean, as Joe said, I knew nothing about it until you raised it as a topic potentially for this week, went and looked at it. And now it's popping up everywhere on all these different feeds. <laughs> right. But it was like watching one of the preludes to the Super Bowl ads. It was the music was on tap. The words were on tap. It sounded like a fully regulated US sports book. And they just nailed it all the way through, you know, having been in many, many situations, hand to hand betting with colleagues, friends, knowing that some of them, I don't even look at their bets. And at the end of the month, they come in and we check them and whatnot, you know, that's sort of how it was always in the past. And if I had players or friends and whatnot that wanted to just bet it, just the hand to hand stuff that's commonly done all over the world, like the peer to peer that keeps getting pushed in the US. That's why I'm not a big fan of that either. The social aspect, the, the hand-to-hand, the things like that. Because even within small groups, there's people taking advantage of other people that they literally know cannot win. Even if you give them the final result, they still manage to lose. 
<laughs> so I think the way that they generally look at this abroad, and I, I saw something yesterday where I guess in the UK, they're currently going through some debates or conversations in parliament and things like that. And the headline was, you know, what the US can expect to come their way. I don't see that happening as the great depths that it is in Australia and the UK in the US. It's different mentalities, different. The US just isn't that nanny state kind of overbearing weight so many of these other countries have, especially, and I'm noticing more in the Commonwealth states around the world. There's ways to do it. There's ways I disagree with completely. I understand it's a component of society and looking out for others and things like that. I just think SNL just nailed it completely as how we're looking at the US market right now. And we just move forward and tackle it how we can be proactive, not reactive. But I still think it's going way overboard in many of these other countries around the world. And it's driving the gray market up. It's not helping the regulated aspect. Yes, the arguments from regulators, well, we're doing, you know, we see, have seen for five years record numbers in all these states and all these things. This existed for so long, in the, especially in the US, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years. And they're going to capture that component that doesn't want to have to send funds or, you know, elsewhere. And I think going back even to last week when we saw someone getting slow paid from a regulated sports book, I mean, the whole point of the regulation side of it and getting away from the responsible gaming is that you're guaranteed to get paid. And that's ultimately what regulation and that's about. And that's why you move away from the grey. But the UK, Australia, all these countries that are going overboard, there needs to be a balance because they're driving that business back to the unregulated, which is ultimately completely against the goal of what we're trying to do here with driving it into the regulated. And they're just tripping over themselves and hurting themselves rather than actually understanding what they should be doing to grow it and then protect their players in that way. And then they can look at the responsible gaming aspect and how to help and maintain those that can't help themselves. And speaking of how things get done in the future, although admittedly not an ideal future, you could say in the eyes of many, our look ahead segment this week, Joe has alluded to the topic previously, sports betting tax rates across various states. Guys, per a February 21st article by Shruti Singh with Bloomberg, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker is proposing to more than double the state's sports betting tax rate from 15% to 35%. And on Twitter, user SprossBetter asked us to discuss this topic and if we think other states will follow suit. Joe, your initial reply, you could argue that all the sports books that agreed to a 51% rate in New York invited this. Can you elaborate just a bit on that comment? Yeah, I, it's no secret that the FanDuel, DraftKings, those guys... They agreed to that 51% tax rate that got proposed up there. And then also the system, almost like a bidding group of cartels to see, okay, does our group get it versus another group? And that was in part just make New York a smaller market as far as number of operators to cut out the number of competing entities there and just make it so expensive. The irony is, is that, you know, after swearing up and down that, oh yeah, we can do business at 51%, the CEOs of FanDuel and DraftKings were in Albany one year later begging for legislators to drop the rate to 35% because they couldn't make a profit, you know, and, and even threatening like, well, if we don't get relief on taxes, well, we might have to increase our prices that we charge our New York customers. So like, give us what we want or we're going to screw your citizens. That's a hell of a sales job, guys. And you see what they're doing and what they've done in other states. And 
it's really, it's folly. And this is the voice of experience. It's folly to think that you as a company can really leverage government in an accurate and effective way to gain a competitive advantage. Because once you open that taxation, that government regulation box, all sorts of stuff fly out of that Pandora's box. That's one of the reasons why I'm not particularly a fan of some of the activity that's going on in Washington around the federal excise tax. Leave it alone. Because what we're seeing is it does not take years for legislators or governors to take a look at our industry and simply change course on a dime. Like Illinois has been operating for what, two going on three years at 15%. And they're one of the most expensive jurisdictions to do business. $10 million for a game, for a license. That's unreal. That, that they've got three $20 million licenses to do online only business in that state floating around. Nobody will take them up on it. So this, okay, well, we're not gouging people on the licensing fee. So let's really turn around and gouge them on the uh, gross gaming revenue tax. It makes me wonder, like, is there anybody on the government side in Illinois looking at the commercial funnel or are they just pulling stuff out of there and say pulling it out of their ass? Because I don't understand how anybody looks at that kind of shift where you have everybody who's been locked into that marketplace based on their market access deals, their, the cost of their licensing, everything. And now to increase the tax rate by 20% is absolutely catastrophic. You're going to have people who are going to be handing it back. And then you look at other states, like Maryland is looking at really escalating their sports betting tax. You have other states that are modest market opportunities at best, like Arkansas, looking at plus 50% gross gaming tax rates. This is, again, as I said earlier, this is the industry doing a really poor job of being there in state houses to do anything other than give us the right to operate here. And because you just are now seeing it from state to state to state, they are getting the worst possible result now when it comes to this. And you know what? The industry also, they have themselves to blame in that they really hoodwinked uh, legislators early on when they got to like deduct their bonus expenses and things like that. And they were not turning over to the state the kind of tax revenue that they had promised. They really pulled a fast one on state legislators. And you know what? Now this is the revenge of the state coming back and saying like, okay, well, if that's the way it's going to be, we're really going to crank it up on you guys. And we are the one industry that it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat, nobody has an issue raising taxes on the gaming and the betting industries here. So my hope is that some folks get in there in Illinois and they talk to Governor Pritzker and they talk to the legislature and they talk them down from that ledge. Because otherwise, that's a market has risen in the last couple of years. I think they were the number three market overall last year. And that's they've grown to that position. It would be a shame if suddenly they fell back from that position because people just found it a hostile place to do business. And the final note, I really feel bad for Circa because Circa went in there. And you, you know, they, I don't know why they went there because it was such a high cost jurisdiction to enter. But they did it. And there was real hope for those guys to do well in that marketplace. And if this goes through, I don't know how Circa is going to be able to make ends meet in that marketplace with those kind of taxation numbers hanging over them. It's going to be really tough sledding for those guys.
Adam, Joe brings up some salient points about how we're seeing some trickle down effects now from sportsbooks agreeing to a 51% tax rate in New York. And at the same time in this conversation, some others have also pointed the finger at the US regulators or something you touched on in our previous segment, the influence of the Australian and European markets on what we're seeing right now in the US. So I'm curious as to how you might rank these three options in terms of the impact we're seeing on the trend of increasing tax rates. One being those sports books that agree to the 51% rate in New York, two US regulators, and three, the Australian and European influence. Well, if you look at the taxes in those countries, they're a lot lower than what most of these US states have pushed through. It works on both sides. One, the regulators had influences on their side that are pushing it and just earning whatever their contractual price is to try and get them in line. And then the operators, the bigger ones that came in saying, yeah, we'll pay that just to try and block the market out. Unsustainable. And then you have them agreeing to a state that's obviously going to have you know, the most volume, which then increases the taxes and just looks like a number that's insane. And then all the other states looking at what they're bringing in revenue-wise and going, well, we need to be more like New York, which is totally unsustainable. And again, just will end up driving more to the unregulated market. And some even the other states that have other things in place right now based under other legislations and loopholes that are in place. It's really the problem is that no one within these scopes, regulators, governments, taxation, any of that, are actually running a business or have ever ran a business. And especially a sports betting business where the margins are so tight and the overheads are so high as it is. You know, sure, go after the casino, go after the online stuff, charge that at, you know, a 25, 30% premium. But the sports, you know, even Ohio, had Ohio been 20% before Prime went and did the deal, I would have hesitated at the cost it was and probably would have said, no, let's look elsewhere. At 10%, it was fair. Even New Jersey, I believe, is you know, anywhere between 13 and a half retail, 16 and a half online or something like that. You know, Recently, I was looking at Michigan, which is a hell of a lot lower than most, and going through it state by state, which is we'll never go to Pennsylvania as long as I'm in control of what we're doing in a sense of costs and overheads and things like that on our side. New York's definitely out. Illinois, just the price of entry did it. Now, if they go raise the taxes, not interested. Maryland, which was, I thought was a nice little state to go look at, you know, they're talking about raising it to 40% or something like that. For me, then it's just a clear 47, 47%, 47. So for me, then it's just a clear no, like don't bother. Look at bordering states and the game that they were playing with the Kentucky, with I believe seven to nine bordering states and an Ohio and a New Jersey, which then borders those other states that I'm never looking to go into at current tax rates. And that's the game we play is where do we go where it's actually feasible, which you can actually survive, try and break square or make money versus just always underwater the whole time and building it out that way. And then on the flip side, trying to have conversations with regulators and whatnot, you know, not that they're really open to listening to any of this stuff, but just explaining to them the economics of the sports betting and the tight margins, and it's just not feasible. There should be some separation between blanket taxes for horse racing, sports betting, totalizator, casino, brick and mortar versus online and things like that. Because even that, the brick and mortar versus online, you're going to have some states where we're seeing it in California, the ones that have the brick and mortars and what they're fighting over. It's not a one size fits all. Every state's different. 
but they're all just heading down a path where, you know, end of the day, Gray wins if they just keep pushing it in this one direction. And that's obviously, again, against the direction we're trying to push. Yeah, I mean, this all comes down to, like, how do you get it to, like, a just right? You know, too little taxation, too much taxation, or just right taxation? And then is the state only being talked to about the money, the gains that they can realize through taxation, right? Is there any talk about how it's stabilizing and even growing the in-state casinos and horse tra- I mean, it's a savior to racetracks and most casinos that it goes to. There's very little talk about that, you know, and the American Gaming Association, they seem like just based on the results, I don't know, I've not been side by side lobbying with them, but just based on the results, they don't really seem like they're putting up a, a big fight on the behalf of the uniqueness of the online industry and our unique commercials. Because I know that because I hear too many of these legislators who are like the authors of these bills saying something like, well, it's online. It doesn't cost that much. It's just a couple of servers and it doesn't cost them that much to do business. And it just says to me, like, no one has either, no one has talked to that lawmaker about what the actual funnel is for the economics, or they did not do a good job of it because it didn't register. But everybody just thinks that, that right now sports betting is this pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And so, yeah, what, so what if we take like a third or a half of the revenue and nobody's going to feel bad for us, right? Nobody's going to feel bad for the house or the sports or the bookies or anything like that. So unless the industry does a much better job, and I would say it's going to have to be a united effort, not relying on FanDuel or DraftKings or Caesars or MGM or anybody like that to do the best on the behalf of everybody. They've you're clearly seeing the result of their self-interest being reflected in what's going on here right now. Make it as hostile as possible for the primes and the circus. And, you know, even like the fanatics of the world, like that's probably why the baseball pants are so terrible and see-through. They had to put, divert all the money into market costs and things like that. Market access costs to be able to get in someplace. But if they don't do this, you are going to see a kind of a move towards, and I can see it in the future, like where this becomes the purview of the lottery. Because lotteries, they can operate at these margins and nobody really cares. And then you have terrible pricing and terrible product. Since you have operators seem like they all want to be lottery operators anyway, moving people towards parlays and become parlay machines. And you could see, you could rationalize at least a, a time in the future where, well, we don't offer single game bet because the tax burden on it is so high. Our potential upside on offering single game bets it just doesn't, it, it's not profitable for us. We'd be underwater. So we're a parlay only shopper. We're a lottery shopper or something like that. It's conceivable, kids. Well, Joe, to wrap things up, I'll say transparent baseball pants are one thing. But when it comes to transparency about the sports betting industry, this is probably going to go down as our longest episode yet. I know we typically try to stay closer to the range of 20 minutes, but I'd argue it's our most compelling conversation thus far, peeling back the curtain on how the sausage really gets made. So to the audience, we hope you found value in this discussion. And whoever you happen to blame for increasing sports betting tax rates, we'd like to give you credit for listening to this week's conversation. And as always, to thank you for making us a part of your week. A few reminders as we close up shop, register for Prime Sports at primesports.com, download the Prime Sports app, follow Prime Sports on Twitter at Prime Sportsbook. You can also follow Joe there at Joe Brennan Jr., as well as Adam at Adam Bjorn 2. You can find links to all of the above in the show notes. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week right back here on Prime Suspects. 
You must be 21 or over to play on Prime Sports. Always bet responsibly and within your limits. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Gambler.